Welcome to the True North Podcast. This podcast is about navigating through today's culture in the direction that lands at the heart of God. Let's go! tell Kelsey this so the fact that she was talking about it was just confirmation but last Tuesday you know I was everybody's sleep I'm sleep and uh, had a lot of things on my mind to the point that I woke up which is very hard because you can ask Kelsey I'm a hard sleeper when my eyes close and I clock out I don't clock back in until it's time to get back up but it was I don't know one or two something in the morning I got up and went to the bathroom and most nights in our house, there's always Christian music playing at night, which is good because you know, I, I'm before we moved back, we didn't we didn't do that. You know, I I liked it dark, I liked it quiet. That way, if you know if something happened, I could hear it, you know, and stuff. But I, I like having the Christian music playing just because I don't know what state of mind everybody's going to wake up in when they do. So I want I want something that's going to reset their state of mind and reset my state of mind to to the the frequency of heaven amen so I, that's that if you don't get anything i encourage you to do that but tuesday night like or maybe early wednesday morning is one or two in the morning i woke up and as i walk into the bathroom i just hear this bridge playing over the tv now i've heard it before and i told i told somebody i've heard it before it's a great it was it was i'd always consider it a good song but it wasn't one that i added to my to my my playlist or anything but with everything that I had going on, everything that was going on in my mind, just hearing fear is not my future, you are, you are. And I just be like, oh God, you are. I was like, Lord, forgive me because I've placed everything else in this, in, this, in this seat. I've placed everything else in your seat. And I've had to keep praying that. And even Friday struggling, uh, Thursday night struggling, Friday night struggling, Friday, Saturday morning struggling. And to the point that eventually, and when enough is enough, the Holy Spirit is like, Lindsay, remember, fear is not your future. You are. And not me, but Jesus is. And the Lord really put that, last Tuesday, the Lord put that on my heart. I was like, okay, Lord. Maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's, there's something to this. And this, today, we're going to be very short and very brief because today is just about de- declaration. It's about declaring it's about us realizing, you know what? Everything that I've placed on my shoulders, that's not my future. Every heartbreak that I've had to experience, that's not my future. Sickness, whether it's cold or COVID or, or a bad diagnosis from the doctor, that, that's, that's not your future. It's not, church. Oh, man, I feel it, I feel it down to my pinky toes. It is not your future. And, and here's the hardest thing for us to come to grips with. Death is not the end. If you have placed, ooh, Jesus, if you place your trust and confidence in Jesus, 
then guess what? When your body finally, when your bodily finally comes to the end of life, the Bible says that we have been guaranteed. Let me, let me, can I, can I paint the picture better this way? We get the same luxury that the, that the man beside Jesus on the cross was. When he said, hey, hey, we, we deserve this, but he doesn't. And he said, will, will you just take me with you into paradise? And you know what Jesus said? From this day forward, we're not, we will never be apart again. And that's our guarantee. Whether it's on this earth or the world to come, we will never be by ourselves. That's your future. That's your future. That's our guarantee. How awesome it must have felt. That man on the, on the cross to think, you know what? My, he probably felt like the writers of this song. Oh, my future is not, my future is not the fear anymore. My future is not my mistakes. My future is not my heartbreaks. My future is not myself. That's my future right beside me. That's my future paying my price. Guess what? Death is not the end. That's probably what he felt like. His hands just weren't free to pin it down, but that's what his heart felt like. There's my future right there. Stretch wide. Standing high in my place. Woo. We're going to try to drive, I'm going to try to dive into it. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. I know, we, I've never preached in the book of Daniel before. I don't, I don't even think I've even done a youth lesson in Daniel before. If you don't have it, it's all good. We'll put it on the screen, but we're going to be in the New Living Translation. Now, when, I, when, when the Lord put this on my heart, ultimately, I'm just going to, we won't do this today, but ultimately, I had us reading the whole chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, the whole 29 or 31 verses, and I was like, Lord, we can't be doing that, you know. People got to get out, you know, and all that stuff. So I'm, so I'm reading, I'm like, Lord, show me how, can, where can we chop it up, where can we break it down, where can we paraphrase and all that stuff. But if you are taking notes today, we're, you know, we're at the top, you can put fear is not my future, and, and, and circle my, circle that word my, so you know you're talking about yourself. When you go back and look at it, you, you see, yeah, that's, that's me. Fear is not my future, amen? <clears throat> you are, man, that's so catchy. You are, death is not. And, there's, and, and there is more to the song. There is more to the song. If you listen to it, you will find there is more to the song. But I just couldn't get past fear is not my future. You are, because I've been through some stuff this week. I'm just going to be honest. I've been through some stuff this week. Our family's been through some stuff this week. So I needed to declare over myself. I needed, Lindsay needed to remind Lindsay that fear is not his future. You are, Jesus. You are. Been through some sickness. Anybody been through some sickness? Sickness is not my story. You are. Feels like our kids keep getting sick and sick and sick. And so I'm having to remind myself, sickness is not our story. You are. And all the expectations that we place on ourselves that we don't meet. Heartbreak's not my home. That's powerful right there. Because sometimes it feels like you stay in that constant loop of, of setback and disappointment after disappointment and after disappointment. And I believe Daniel felt the same way. In, in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, it says this in New, in New Living Translation. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. 
and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's entrance. Verse 3, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Verse 4, then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. Government affairs, yeah. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Pause. This ain't even the notes. This is how you do a job. You don't know this? Here, this is how you do the job. This is how you do any job. This is how you do any marriage. This is how you be a parent. This is how you be a great employee. This is how you be a great employer. This is how you be a great friend. This is how you be a great cousin. This is how you be a great uncle. This is how you be a great aunt. This is how you be a great person. Faithful, always faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. Three things, three simple things, always faithful. Somebody say always faithful. Always responsible. And completely trustworthy. Verse 5, so they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel would be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. Darius must have been a brother, just saying that. We are administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders for the next 30 days. Any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law, verse 10, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Watch this last verse. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying, asking God, asking for God's help. They found him asking for God's help. Oh, what a testimony. Oh, what a testimony to get caught. What's he, what's he caught doing? He's caught asking God for help. We've talked about it before. Oh, what a testimony. What a testimony it would be if somebody caught you asking God for help. Not saying you gotta, not saying you got to make a pub, public spectacle. I, I used to know this person in Bible college. Every time he needed something, you catch him at the altar. He'd be praying loud about his needs, hoping that somebody would hear it and make, and make you know, and, and, and fulfill it. And it always, it always, it always made me mad, so, you know, to the most part, I try to avoid it and stuff like that, and I try to avoid doing that. But, oh, what a testimony for these people to not catch David, not catch David, you know, in, in some kind of sin, some deep, dark sin. No, they caught him praying and asking for God's help. Is that our testimony? Is that your testimony? When people catch you, do they catch you cussing? Do they catch you gossiping? Do they catch you going off? Do they catch you complaining? Do they catch you joint, jumping into the river of all the negative things that are going on in this world? Or when people catch you, when you're not looking, when you don't think people are watching you and, and still people are looking, are, do they notice that? Oh, man, there, there's a shadron asking for God's help again. Man, she's still believing in God. God's got to be real because every time I see her, she's always, she's always leaning on the Lord. Oh, there's Miranda again. Is, is she leaning on the Lord still? Good Lord, how long is she going to lean on the Lord? What a testimony 
for people to look at you and say, man, there they are leaning on the Lord again. I'll, I'll take that label all day. But is that our testimony? <clears throat> is that our testimony? Now, why is Daniel praying for help? If I can just poke the bear a little bit, if I can just play the other side of the coin for a minute, why is Daniel asking for help? You know, I was thinking about this as I was driving to, to Jackson Friday. Why, you know, why was he asking for help? I mean, because it should be a no-brainer. I mean, he had two options, worship this man-made king or worship the creator of the cosmos. I mean, it's a no-brainer. Why do, why do you need, why do you ask God for help? When it comes to making that decision, I mean, we, if I say, hey, everybody worship me or worship Jesus, all y'all going to be like, Lindsay, you crazy. We're going to worship Jesus. It's a no-brainer. If the mayor, if the mayor was like, hey, worship me or worship Jesus, all of us, we're going to be like, hey, it's, you know, we love you. We're still going to pay our taxes, but we worship Jesus. It's, it's a no-brainer. We all agree. So why would Daniel be asking God for help in this scenario? You know, the, if you ever think about it, the only time when we pray for help is when the ops is tempted. The only time we pray for help is when the opposition is tempting. The only time you really pray for help is when you're tempted to give in to the opposition. You ever notice that? I'm going to say that uh, you got to let that marinate for a minute. The only time we really pray for help is when the opposition is tempting. You know, when people are fasting, you never hear them say, Lord, give me, the, give me the strength not to eat this broccoli. You don't hear people say that when they're fasting. When people are trying to quit smoking, you don't hear them say, Lord, give me the strength to smoke this cigarette. <sighs> Lord, give me the strength to eat this bacon sandwich. Lord, give me the strength to binge, binge watch another show. You don't hear people pray that. You don't hear people pray and ask God for help for that. But when the opposite is tempting, Lord, give me the strength to not eat this certain meat or not eat this certain foods. Lord, give me the strength not to smoke this. Lord, give me the strength to, to, to pause the shows and spend time with you. When the opposition is tempting, that's when we're asking God for strength. So watch this. Therefore, if that's the truth, then the reason Daniel is asking God for help is because he is tempted to give it all up. He's tempted to throw it all away. He is tempted to make the decision to worship this man-made king. Lindsay, how can you say that? I'm going to tell you how I can say it. The reason, because if you look at who Daniel is, can I tell you who Daniel is? We don't have a whole lot of time to read every chapter and go through line by line. But Daniel, understand this, Daniel and three other men were of the tribe of Judah, which meant they were of the royal family. They were, they were related to King David. Related to King David. And I'm sorry, if I knew I was related to King David, like, not like distant, 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 but I'm talking about like literally within a few generations apart from each other. If I knew my great-granddaddy was King David, oh, all y'all know it. All y'all know, somebody step up to me and be like, hey, I got David's blood. You really want to step through this? You, you feeling like a giant? You know what we do to giants, bruh? Like, you couldn't tell me nothing. If I, if I, if I knew, if it was the great-grandpappy David, like, hey, What's up, y'all? Opposition come my way. You don't want this? You feeling like a giant? You see, you see that rock? <laughs> don't let me pick it up. You're going to be in some trouble. So the fact that Daniel knows that he comes from the tribe of Judah, you know there's got to be a certain level of pride. Not like arrogance, but like pride of I am of the lineage of the tribe of Judah. 
And the book of Daniel says that there was him and three other guys with him. And we all know those famous three guys, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. If you've ever watched Medea, she says that Billy Goat, that bad Billy Goat. If you ever watch Superfly, they, they say something else. I ain't going to say it because I don't want to get in trouble. But all the seasons, y'all know what they say. Meshach, uh, Shadrach, and you know, a bad something. But, but these, these four individuals, they were from the tribe of Judah. So obviously they were from the tribe of Judah. But during this time, the nation of Israel were taken captive as slaves by the Babylon army. So Daniel's already got that. He's already, he's already having to deal with that of having to forsake his home and become a slave. And the Bible says that the Babylon army, they destroyed their temple. They went through the town and stole everything that was worth value. And everything else that, the, that wasn't worth value, they literally desecrated it to the point that it couldn't be used again. They went into the church and desecrated it. They took all the gold, took everything that was worth value, and left everything out for ruin. So Daniel's already dealing with that, if that isn't enough. Now, he's, now he doesn't have a home. He has to go to a new home where he is a slave under, uh, under a, 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 a civilization that does not worship his God. Does not worship his God. And not only does the, the, they not worship God, the Bible only mentions that it's these four individuals. So therefore, that, it must lead us to believe that the rest of the nation of Israel is kind of wavering in their loyalty or, 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 or in their allegiance to Yahweh. But the book of Daniel makes it plain to say that these four individuals, so it lets us know that they are standing strong in their faith. So already Daniel's got to, he's, got to, he's dealing with being a slave while still trying to serve Yahweh. While still trying to serve Yahweh. And not only that, but, you know, in fact, if you ever research it out, but Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, those are the Babylonian names for those three individuals. Because their, their, their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Meshach, and Azaniah. And, they get, and the Babylonian army, they gave Daniel a Babylonian name, too. But the reason that the Babylonian army did this is because not just them, but any oppressor that is taking force of an oppressee, it's the number one thing that they do because the act of erasing and replacing a person's identity is an effective means of breaking the resistance of captive humans. I'm going to get deep for you for a minute. If you've ever, if you've ever watched Alex Haley's Roots, that's the first thing that they did when they took over the slaves. Instantly, they changed their identity. Why? Because, because you are born with your name. Do you know that you're born with your name? Deep in your subconscious, I don't remember the day I was born. Nine times out of ten, most everybody in here does not remember the day you was born. But deep in your subconscious, you heard your name called. When your mom or dad picked you up. I know for me, when I picked Kellen up, when I picked Kenya up, when I picked Kona, just tears, it's not running down the face. But the first thing I said was, you know, with Cohen, Cohen Alexander, my boy. Instantly in his subconscious, he heard his name, and then he heard who he belonged to. So therefore, his identity was set on this side of heaven. In heaven, it was already set, and he knew it. But on this side of heaven, his father declared his identity by saying, Cohen Alexander, you are born with your identity. You were born with your identity. And instantly, when they took over, when they took these people as slaves, they knew that, okay, the first thing we have to do in order to break their will, we have to break their identity. In order to break their identity, we have to give them a new identity. 
and the fact that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, I know we praise them, but for some reason in the book of Daniel, we know them by their Babylonian names, which means there must have been a part of them that submitted to that. But we know Daniel by his Hebrew name. So not only is Daniel dealing with being a slave, not only is Daniel dealing with not being back in his own home, now he's dealing with parts of his friends that have, have adopted the Babylonian way while he is still standing true to God. So if that wasn't enough, if that wasn't enough, chapter 4 says that there's King Nebuchadnezzar, and King Nebuchadnezzar, just to, just to give a synopsis, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was presented with the option of humbling himself before God and worshiping God. <coughs> and the Bible says that he refused. And instantly when he refused, the Bible says that he became, he lost all of his, all of his mind. Literally, he lost his entire mind and lost his humanity and became like a beast in the field. He went out into the field on all fours scrounging for food, acting like an animal because he had no understanding of him being a man. And the Bible says that when he had had enough eventually, he was posed to the question again, will you humble yourself before the Lord God? And he said yes, and instantly the Bible says that his mind was restored and he stood back up on his legs and his kingdom was given back to him. So Daniel's dealing with that. Can you imagine serving that, serving that type of king? But the Bible says that Daniel was faithful to him. And then guess what? Chapter 5, his son rose up into power. And guess what? King, <laughs> I put in my notes, but King Nebi, just because I don't want to spell King Nebuchadnezzar. But King Nebi, his son rose up into power. And his son was given the same option as well. Will you humble yourself before God? If you ever look at it, it's the famous story of the handwriting on the wall. And his son refused to. He said, I will not humble myself before God. And the Bible says that that king was assassinated later that night. So Daniel's already dealing with, he's dealing with not being in his own home. He's, been, he's dealing with being taken from his own home. He's dealing with being a, a slave. He's dealing with having to still try to hold on to his identity, even though everybody else is adopting the Babylonian way. He is still standing true to who God has made him to be. He's having to deal from king, uh, from one king that dies to a next king that dies. And in chapter 6, what we read, a new king rises up. And this new king does not worship the same God that Daniel does. But the Bible says that Daniel's still being true, still dealing with all those different things, still dealing with all those different plates, still juggling all those different balls. Still, the Bible says that when it came time that they needed things done, they saw that Daniel, Daniel was more capable than all the others. So now Daniel's got to deal with the backlash of his peers. You know, we've all been there before. You get a little something, and if you don't share it with somebody, oh. You think you're better than me. Man, Kelsey thinks she's better than everybody just because she got new. You ever been there before? I remember in high school one time I got a brand new pair of shoes. I was so excited. I like these. these I, I thought they were so cool. I bought them with my own money. Just got the job. Bought them with my own shoes. Went around my friends. Hey, man, where you get them shoes? Oh, I bought them at Hibbets. You like them? Man, you didn't get me a pair. I'm like, uh, duh. Like, no, I didn't get you a pair. I remember, th I remember that day them, like, my so-called friends just making fun of me. Like, man, Lizzie think he's something because he got some new shoes. Then he's something because he got them. And I'm like, man, what? Daniel's having to deal with, you know, not only is he having to deal with working for the oppressor. Now he's, he's, he has no support from his family and friends. Oh, you think you're somebody else. 
So he's got a lot that he's having to go through. And then on top of that, this new king decides that, hey, either worship me or you're going to die. So if I'm being honest, how much more is a person supposed to take? How much more is Daniel supposed to take if we look at all that he's been through up until chapter 6 and now now I got to worship you or I'm going to die? We see literally they catch him asking God for help. So I can understand if you've ever been there before. I can understand Daniel being like, God, I need your help because I'm at my breaking point. I thought it was enough to just be a slave. I thought it was enough just to leave our home. I thought it was enough to watch them desecrate and ruin your house of worship. I thought it was enough to reject them giving me their identity. I thought it was enough to watch my family and friends make fun of me as I still pursue you. I thought it was enough, but now I have to choose to either worship you or die. Lord, how much more am I supposed to take? Has anybody ever been there before? It feels like there's, 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 there's problem after problem. Burden after burden, drama upon drama, trauma upon trauma. It feels like the devil's always doing something. There's, all, there's another storm after another storm, and the storm doesn't end because another storm joins, uh, joins in with it, and it's a compound storm. Am I talking to anybody this morning? And when I'm reading this, I'm like, Daniel, I feel you, brother. How much more can a person take? If you've ever read the story of Job, it's like, man, Lord, how much more can a person take? So I understand. But one thing that Daniel did that we failed to do, he got down on his knees and said, God, I need your help. He didn't. What I love, this ain't in the notes, so you're getting some good. What I love, he didn't, he didn't say he didn't iron his shirt. Iron, he didn't he didn't press his pants and he didn't put on this facade of everything's OK. He didn't put on this facade of everything's great. He didn't put on this facade of I'm blessed and highly favored, brother. How are you? I work with this one person, and, and, and oh, my Lord, I love him. But every time you get around, he's like, I say, how are you doing? I'm blessed and in favor. How are you? I'm like, yes, we are blessed. Yes, we are favored. But I want, I want to be like, and we don't ever have enough time because it's a go, go, go kind of job I want to be like how's your heart sir like how's your heart how how, how's the state of your children like and church that's one of the number one reasons people don't like to come to church is because they say I I need something that's real I need to be around people that's real I need to be around people that struggle just like me not saying that we glorify the struggle but we don't hide it there, there, if you, there are times in the week you can catch me like, Lindsay, how you feeling? And I'll tell you, listen, I'm not feeling my best. I don't feel like Sunday morning best. I feel like Monday morning worse. But when you feel like that, choose the path of Daniel, which is to drop down on your knees and say, God, I need your help because I am tempted to give it all up. Can I tell you this? I wrote this down. An anchor, watch this. An anchor does its best work underneath the raging waters. An anchor does its best work, not when it's, not when it's, you know, not when it's, you know, uh, the seas are smooth, not when it's a nice, peaceful day, but an anchor does its best work when it's underneath the raging waters, underneath the raging waters. Listen to this church, do not let anxiety be your rudder. Don't let anxiety be your rudder. You know what a rudder is? A rudder is the thing that steers the ship. Not this big, 
like we see on the Love Boat or we see on Fantasy Island or we see on all the different, uh, you know, boat shows or boat movies where they got this big, sh no, it's the, it's the flap underneath the bottom. It's the thing that you can't see at the very bottom of the boat, the rudder. Don't let your anxiety, don't let your problems, do not let your emotions be your rudder. I'm talking to myself. This is something I have to tell. I'm having to tell myself this daily. Sometimes it feels like hourly. Lindsay, do not let anxiety be your rudder. Lindsay, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It means that everything that you're going through, don't let that be the thing that decides how your life is played out. Don't let your emotions be the uh, deciding factor of how your life is played out. Let me paraphrase verses 12 through 15, and then we'll jump into 16. But after they obviously, and, and this is a very, a very notorious Sunday school lesson. If you, if you ever went to Sunday school as a kid, you know, Daniel and the lions. Dan. Our kids can tell you definitely about Daniel and the lions. But literally verse 12 through 15, it says that after they caught Daniel in the act of asking God for help, they went to King Darius. King Darius, I can see now. Yo, Darius. And like we caught him as they're running back to him. We caught him. We got him. We trapped him. And they go to King Darius and they're like, hey, Daniel, Daniel is breaking law because you decreed that only everybody worship you or they'd be put to death. And if you look at it, the Bible says that King Darius was actually troubled because he had favor with Daniel. He, he was fond of Daniel. But he knew that if he didn't uphold the law, then guess what? Every other, uh, his word would be nothing. And therefore, he would lose, he would lose his place of power, position of power. So the Bible says that he actually, he, you know, he, he waited to the very end of night. And those guys, they came right back up and they said, hey, hey, it's, it's time, remember? He broke the law. You got to put him to death. And in verse 16, it said, so at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Verse 17, a stone was brought. Ah, yes. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Who else do you know? Oh, church. Do you, you see that? Do you see that? We're going to nerd out for a minute. Who else do you know that was placed in a den of darkness with the stone that was rolled on top of it, with the king's seal placed on it so nobody could break free? Daniel is a picture of Jesus, if you didn't know that. Literally, you can look in every Old Testament book and find a picture of Jesus. Find something or someone that is pointing us to Jesus. Watch this in verse 18. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his, uh, he refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Verse 19, the very, very early the next morning. The king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God. Wow, what a phrase, what a label, servant of the living God. Was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? In verse 21, Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in God. 
we all know, if you've heard the story, you're like, Lindsay, I know this story, but do we really know it? Because when I'm reading this, I'm reminded, who else do we know that's faced the lions and wolves of this world? And instead of being devoured by this world, he robbed the grave of its power. Who else do we know that, that, that was placed in a den of darkness? And in, instead of it swallowing him up, Jesus is the one that made the darkness tremble. Who else do we know that was able to go in? The Bible says that literally he robbed death and, and hell of the grave. He, he robbed it. He made an open mockery of the devil. Who else do we know that's just like Daniel goes into the den of the lions and instead of being devoured up by everything else that life had to swallow him up with, instead, instead, when life called out and said, Jesus, are you alive? He's like, yes. And not only am I alive, I'm bringing all, I'm bringing every captive, every oppressor, every, every person that's been depressed, every person that's been oppressed, I'm bringing victory with me. Every person that's had to deal with anxiety, I'm bringing victory out of this den. Every person that's had to deal with trauma, I'm bringing victory out of this den. I am the past. I am the present. I am the future. When he walked out of that grave, he was saying, no more is your fear your future no more is the sickness your story no more is every heartbreak that you've had to deal with no more is that the place that you dwell but I am the place that you dwell in me you will live in me you will move in me you will have your entire existence I am the great I am Woo! that's why we sing fear is not my future why because he went into the den of my darkness he went into the den of your darkness. He went into the deepest, darkest parts of your insecurity, the deepest, darkest parts of your sin. All the times where you let your mouth go off when you shouldn't, he went there. All the times when you let your hands fly when you shouldn't, he went there. All the times when people accuse you of stuff, he went to that place. All the times that you had to deal with sickness and death and people leaving you, whether it's on this earth or just in person, he went to that place and when they said Jesus are you okay he said yes I'm okay I'm not devoured by what this world has to devour me with I, the darkness doesn't make me tremble I make the darkness tremble fear is not your future I don't care what the doctor says I don't care who leaves you church oh I'm talking to somebody I don't care who leaves you it's not your future. Death is not the end. Yesterday I'm driving and, and, I, and things are going great. And I heard this one song that triggered a memory. And instantly I started thinking about my grandpa. And I'm like, oh, Lord. I was like, Grandpa, I miss you, man. And I just began to sob. And then I, but then as I'm thinking about this sermon, I'm like, but I said, Grandpa, death is not the end. I said, I ain't going to see you soon, but we will meet again. I said, Jesus, thank you for making that opportunity available. Thank you because of what you did at the cross. All my loved ones that I no longer see, one day, one day we will be joined together again, face to face. And when King Darius said, are you alive? He said, long live the king. See, Darius thought he was talking about him, but we know Daniel was like, no, hey, hey, you, you, you're a little king because the real king was with me. The real king kept the lions from devouring me. 
I, last time I checked, I don't see anybody going to the Memphis Zoo and hopping the gate into the lion's area just for the fun of it. Just to see, you know what, I, I, I have faith. I heard Pastor Lindsay. I'm like, I got faith. We're going to go in this lion's den and we're going to be like that. No, I don't see none of y'all doing it. You better not do it. Why? Because we know something's going to happen. We know something's going to happen. And the fact that Daniel is like, I am alive. Long live the king. Long live the king. Church, sickness is not your story. And you know, in that moment, Daniel knew it. He knew that everything he had been through, he knew that being, being oppressed by the enemy, that wasn't his story. Oh, I tr trust me, if you're in the lion's den having to spend the whole night and the lions don't even touch you, you're going to walk out there knowing that everything you've been through is nothing. 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 Somebody say nothing. And to save time, let me tell you the rest of the story. After they pulled Daniel out, I love this. This, you know, for, for, this, for this part of the scripture, King Darius is my dude. I like King Darius. But the Bible says after they pulled Daniel out, King Darius hugged him up. He probably dabbed him up. I'm like, I'm so, my brother, I'm so glad to see. And the Bible says that he took the men that accused, falsely accused Daniel. See, the people don't think that the Bible knows what it's talking about when it comes to being woke and, and wrongfully injustice. But guess what it does? Because the Bible says that after they pulled Daniel out of the pit, literally King Darius went and said, go give me those guys that wrongly, wrongfully accused Daniel. And guess what? They threw him into the den. Not only, watch this, this is why I love King Darius. He's petty. Not only did he throw the men, he threw their wives, he threw their kids. Therefore, he said, no, you're not even going to have a lineage of this type of injustice. We're going to nip it in the bud right now. And the Bible says as they threw them into the den, they didn't even touch the ground before the lions devoured them. Look it up. They didn't even, their, their bodies didn't even touch the ground before the lions devoured them. When I read that, I was like, ooh, don't go there, man. Mm -hmm. But this part is important. This part is very important. And we'll close with this. This, you know, it, to, to, to talk about this, it doesn't, it doesn't end the way it did when we learned about it in Sunday school. It's not like a Disney movie. Because, see, after this great miracle in chapter 9 of Daniel, literally Daniel had consulted the scroll of Jeremiah, chapter 25 to be exact. Because one thing that was prophesied was when the nation of Israel be taken into exile, become slaves to the Babylonian army, it would last for 70 years. So in chapter 9, Daniel knew that the 70 years was almost up. So when he opened the scroll of Jeremiah, the Bible says that he began to consult the Lord God and say, God, our, our 70 years is up. And he begins, the Bible says, he begins to plead and petition God to make do on his promise of, hey, you said it was going to be 70 years. We're almost at 70 years. I plead and pray that this will be the end of our captivity. And you got to think he was rightfully so to ask that after all he'd been through. After all he'd been through. And we would think like a normal Disney movie, you know, everybody happily ever after. We praise God, everybody praise God, and no. In chapter 9, it doesn't happen that way. In chapter 9, the Bible says that the Lord God sent a messenger, an angel, a.k.a. named Gabriel. And Gabriel declared to him and told him that because the nation of Israel never stopped sinning, because the nation of Israel never stopped putting trust in their efforts, 
because the nation of Israel never stopped rebelling against the Lord God, because the nation of Israel never was satisfied with a God they couldn't see, therefore they were creating images and gold and whatever else. This exile that you have been experiencing, this captivity, this oppression will continue on for 70 more years. Making a total of 490 years of oppression. That's not a happy ending, church. And if you're dang, you'd be like, 490 years. I won't be allowed to see when we're freed. <coughs> How do you be optimistic about the future with that hanging over your head? If you're Daniel, how, how, how can you be optimistic knowing that God's like, hey, you got 490 more years of this stuff. You got 490 more years of doing the same thing. Listen to the same ridicule, being in the same environment, being with the same busybodies, being with the same don't want to do anything, never had anything, don't ever want to do anything people. You got 490 years of dealing with that. How can, how can you be optimistic? Can I tell you how? By realizing that your future is not a what, it's not a where, but it's a who. Daniel realized that 490 years, that's okay. Because there was a moment in my life where I thought death was the end. There was a moment in my life where I was fearful that I was about to be devoured. But Jesus, you stepped in. It reminded me that you are control of my life. That you are the author and the finisher. He's the author and the finisher. So you know what that means? That means he is the one that declares your future. He is the one that declares what, what your story in, entails. He is the one that declares where your home is, whether it's heartbreak or him. And guess what, church? Because he did what he did at the cross, his heart for you is for your home to be in him. How do, you, how do you be optimistic with everything that you go through in your life by realizing that your future is not a what? Your future is not a where. Your future is a who. Lindsay, who? Jesus. That's who. Your future is not a how. How am I going to get this done? How am I going to get married? How are we going to take care of this? When am I going to get married? Where are we going to get married? When am I going to get a better job? When am I going to hit the lotto? When am I going to do a... Kellen, Kellen made a deal with me last night. We're taking a bath. He listen, these these boys, because because we we I ain't gonna point the blame at them, but at the end of every news, the six thirty news, six o'clock news, whatever, right before Wheel of Fortune, there's the cash three and cash four, you know, drawings. And the boys, they love them because they just see bouncy balls and numbers. So they try to guess and we make it a game. Can you guess the numbers? Sometimes we get close. If they ever get like spot on, we gonna we're gonna go down to BP. We're gonna put some numbers in because they they've they figured it out. But they want to play it. They don't understand the harmony. They just, you know, it's bouncing balls with numbers. Can you guess the number? So when we go, when we go in Walmart, we go past the little lottery machine. They're like, Daddy, can we play? No, we can't play. We told them you have to be 18. So now they realize, okay, well, Daddy, will you play for us? <laughs> Daddy, will you go play for us? We go to BP Gas Station. BP Gas Station right across from Kobe's. Go get a Gatorade. Hey, Daddy, I want to go in with you. Okay. We go, I go, we go inside, get a Gatorade. He's like, Daddy, can we play? Can't play what we can play. He's pointing at the little cash four thing. I was like, kill it. We cannot play the cash four. 
So last night we're taking a bath and drying them up. And he said, Dad, let's make a deal. I said, okay. He said, I got on pink at school, so every time I get on pink, you play the lottery for me. <laughs> I'm like, ah. <laughs> I mean, in my head, I'm like, I mean, it encourages them to have a good day. So I'm like, all right, cool. And then he messed up. And then where he messed up, mommy comes in. She's checking on us. Hey, me and daddy made a deal. And he tells. And I'm like, bro, why'd you do that? And mommy's like, no. You know, the good parents squashes, I know. So when she went out, I said, Callan, listen, we got to have a talk, bro. Like, when me and you make deals, it's just me and you. It's just, it's just Papa to son, okay? I'm, I'm your Papa. Don't, you don't have to include everybody. I, I figure if everybody, I'll let you know if everybody needs to be included, okay? He's like, huh? I said, because see, if you win, because you told everybody, now you got to cut them in on it. Before, it's just me and you, buddy, you know? <laughs> Just me and you. Hey, mommy. But can I give y'all one more scripture? You know, it's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 and 34. As you're turning there, though, we're talking about Daniel. How can he be optimistic? And it's by realizing that his future It's not a what, it's not a where, it's not a how, but it's a who. Church, I don't know what you're going through. Family and friends, I don't know what you're going through. I know for me, the Lord has told me, Lynn, you got to realize your future is not a what, meaning your job. I'm thankful for my job, but that's not my future. Uh, Hebrews 11, uh, 32 through 34. He said, Lynn, your job is not a where. Because one of my goals is for us to get our own place. I'm I'm working diligently. Sometimes it's, it's my last thought at night. And he's like, Lindsay, your future is not the where. And sometimes, if, if you're like me, you try to figure out, well, how are we going to make these things? How are we going to get out of this? How, how am I going to get better? How am I going to be a better parent? How, 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 how? He's like, Lindsay, your future is not the how. Church, I'm here to tell you this morning, the reason we sung Fear is Not My Future, because it is a moment, is, it is an eye-opening opportunity for you to realize that your future, how, how move past everything and realize your future is not a what? It's not a where and it's not a how, it's a who. And not just any who. Not Dr. Who. Not Dr. Seuss who, it's Jesus. And for Daniel to realize this, well, Lindsay, how how do we know that he really realized this? How do we know that he still had faith knowing that the Lord told him, you got 490 more years, or you you got 70 more years totaling 490 of this? I'll tell you how. In Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. In the sports world, you got the Hall of Fame, all the greats, Michael Jordan and then everybody else. All the greats. And in Hebrews 11, the author, he writes, he pins this chapter as the Hall of Faith, everybody that had a firm persuasion of who God said he is. That's all, that's, that's all it took to make the Hall of Faith. Didn't take reading 50 chapters a day. It didn't take pressing and ironing your clothes to be crisp like bacon. It didn't take none of that. It just took them believing, okay, God, who'd you say you are? I'm going to build my life upon that. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, watch this. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, that dude, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Verse 33, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms. By faith, Just by believing God, 
By faith, they, all these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received, watch this, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. Who? Verse 34. Quench the flames of fire. Last time I checked, who do we know escaped the mouth of a lion? Daniel. Who do we know quenched the flames of fire? The three, three Hebrew boys. It, you can't be mentioned in the hall of faith if you don't have faith. So we know that Daniel kept the faith, even though the Lord told him, you got 70 more years of oppression. We know he kept the faith. Why? Because in Hebrews 11, Decades later, the author is, is, is giving him a footnote of, hey, all the people that have firm persuasion of God. Also, there is this one man who, who, who saw the Lord shut the mouth of the lions. You know how you make the hall of faith? By having faith in God. You know how you make the hall of faith? By realizing that fear is not your future. By realizing that, okay, I may be sick today, but that's not going to be my entire story. One day I'm going to come out of this. One day, one day the Benadryl is going to kick in along with the prayers and salve. One day I'm going to be better. And then one day I will have to go through the whole circus uh, carousel again of being sick and, and, and germs and bacteria and all that. But it's not my story. It's not your story, amen? amen. It's not your story. Literally, verse 33 says, shut the mouths of lions. Daniel chose faith over fear, even though his surroundings would continue to be unideal for the rest of his physical life. He chose faith over fear, even though his surroundings would be the same for the rest of his physical life. I wrote this down. The book of Daniel is proof that Jesus is with you in the midst of suffering. Church, the book of Daniel is proof that Jesus is with you in the midst of suffering. It wasn't the Daniel fast that caused the lions to not eat him or devour him. It was Jesus. <coughs> it wasn't anything. There's nothing wrong with the Daniel fast. The reason I say that is because we need to understand there's nothing that you can do on your own strength to bring about a miracle. You just got to trust God. I wrote this down. We don't serve, I love this, we don't serve a God that is like a coach yelling from the sideline. We don't serve a God that is like a coach yelling from the sideline. God does not rescue us yelling directions down from heaven. Nope. Jesus gets in the fire with us. Jesus climbs in the darkest den of the lions and shuts their mouths and keeps them from devouring you. That's the type of God we serve. You know, yesterday when I got off work and I go to Keenan's first baseball practice, we're on the side, but, you know, and I, and I wanted, we're all like, you could do it, Keenan. We're yelling from the sideline, but we're not out there with him running the bases as many times as he's ran. We're not out there with him getting our shoes dirty. Guess what? Your best friend, as much as they may be your best friend, they're not with you in the muck. Of, they're not truly with you in the very things that you're having to experience right in here. Right in here, church, and right here. But you know who is? My kids will tell you, who lives in here? Jesus. And the Bible says that out of, the, out of your heart flows the issues of life. So if he is living in here, he knows every issue that you have. 
He knows every issue that you have. And it's not running him away. It's not pushing him away. It's bringing him closer. Why? Because the heart of the Father is to transform you into wholeness. 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 And if we're being honest, because of what Jesus did at the cross, you've already been made whole. It's just up here that's got to understand it. It's up here that's got to understand it. So let me give you three things on how we handle difficult seasons well. Number one, do not make decisions based on the season. Do not make decisions based on the season. Make them based on prayer and God's guidance. Amen. Don't make decisions. Number two, don't make decisions based on boredom or frustration. Number three, your biggest mistake is you can make, the biggest mistake you can make is failure to see that you are still on assignment. The biggest mistake you can make is failure to see that you're still on assignment. We forget that we're still on assignment. You forget that you're at that job for a reason. You forget that you're in that family for a reason. You forget that you're, you have those friends for a reason. They're leaning on you for a reason. Daniel points to Jesus, and Jesus is a constant reminder that fear is not our future, church. Jesus is a constant reminder that sickness is not your story. By his stripes, you are healed. Jesus is a constant reminder that heartbreak is not your home. Why? Because he's the friend that sits closer than the brother. And Jesus is a constant reminder that death is not the end. Why? Because just like the thief at the cross, when Jesus said, from this day forward, you'll be with me forever. Somebody say forever. I need you this week and for the rest of your life to declare over yourself. And originally, I, was, I had these handouts I was going to give to everybody and just lost track of time and stuff. But it, you may have to go home and, and write it down and, and tape it to your wall, tape it to your mirror, tape it to your fridge, tape it to somewhere in your car. And remind yourself, fear is not my future. Jesus, you are. And, and get, get, get detailed with it. The very things that keep me up at night, that's not my future. That's not my story. That's not my home. Jesus, you are. My fear of dying, that's not the end of my life. Jesus, you are. Jesus, you said I'll be with you forever. I encourage you, write it down and tape it to uh, somewhere that you constantly are looking at. Or if you have to, put it, uh, uh, you know, type it in your notes and make it the wallpaper on your phone and put that as your, you know, your home screen there. Every time you check your phone for a notification, you see fear is not my future. Jesus, you are. My past is not my future, Jesus, you are. My weakness is not, that's not my home, that's not my story, Jesus, you are. In fact, Jesus, you take my weakness and you make, and you get, and you cause strength to rise out of it. In my weakness moments, in my weakest moments, Lord, I'm strong. Why? Because you are the God that doesn't yell from the sideline. He doesn't yell what to do from the sideline. He gets down in the den with you church I don't know what the den looks like for you I don't know what it looks like for you I don't know what it looks like for you because I'm not there with you but Jesus is Jesus is amen let's go into we'll stand to our feet if you don't mind if you're able to stand to your feet but I really feel this and, and I've been trying to move on been trying to get us out of here but 
I don't know what the den looks like for everybody in this room. But I feel this. He is climbing in your den. The same, and when I mean den, I'm not talking about the, the living room of your house. I'm talking about literally that same dark corner in your mind and the deep subconscious and the deep spaces of your heart. He's climbing in there. And he's sitting with you. Because you're still going to have to be in the den. There are going to be moments in your life where it's going to feel like, there's darkness surrounding you, but guess what? He is climbing in those, in those spaces in your heart and in your mind. And he is shutting the mouth of everything that, that is trying to devour you, that will try to devour you. Whether it's past, present, or future, whether it's mistakes, whether it's the opinions that people have said, whether it's things you know you shouldn't have done but you did, whether it's things that you looked at you shouldn't have looked at, whatever it is. Whatever it is that is the devil's trying to use to devour you. Even if it's your own pride, he is climbing in the den, church. I, 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 I feel that. He is climbing. I, I just feel that phrase. He is climbing in that den. And he is sitting in that space with you. And every, every mouth of every lion, he is shutting it. And your testimony will be when people say, how, how are you not devoured? How are you still standing? You'll, you'll say, it's not how. It's not what, it's not where, it is who. And the who, his name is Jesus. And in him I live, in him I move, in him I have my entire existence. My marriage is in him, my kids are in him, my finances are in him, my health is in his hands. There used to be a song that was very popular when we were kids. Guess what? We need to go back to truly putting our life in his hands. Truly putting our finances in his hands. Truly putting our health. When the doctor gives you a bad report, okay, I hear that. Lord, you heard what the doctor says. It's in your hands. Lord, my love life, it's in your hands. Lord, me not knowing what to do, I put that in your hands. My job is in your hands. Lord, you heard what they said about me. I put it in your hands. Lord, I don't feel secure in this area. I put it in your hands. And you know what he does? He says, make space, I'm coming in. Make space. See, the, the, the small print that we couldn't see in between the scriptures, Daniel had to make space because the Lord was with him in that den, shutting the mouth of every lion. He didn't have no, he didn't have no lion treats. He didn't have no lion biscuits. He had the Lord. And church, that's your testimony. Fear is not your future. He is.